One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS First Peak Podcast. We are going to be talking about some of the top games that might be flying a bit under the radar this week. This is your host, Ben Fritz, bfritz12 on DraftKings Discord and Twitter. And today I'm joined by Lex Moralia and Majestic. Guys, week one football. Let's do this thing. <laughs> How are you guys? I am fantastic. Yeah, I couldn't be more excited. <laughs> Ready to get out of a uh, best ball brain and into DFS brain. <laughs> oh my Absolutely. gosh. I'm, I've been there for the past two weeks. I'm like, I don't even want to do anymore. Like forget the puppy. I want to <laughs> jump into some DFS. Uh, well, yeah. So as I mentioned in, in this podcast, we're going to be looking at the uh, kind of the, the second tier of games. Obviously we're going to have, the public focused on the top one or two games on the slate. But as we know here at OWS, there's obviously a lot more fantasy goodness to be found. And so that's what we are here to do is dig into those games for you all and see what we can find. So today we've got Green Bay at New Orleans. We've got Arizona at Tennessee, Jacksonville at Houston. And got a, an honorable mention game. We're usually going to be doing three, but uh, week one, throw in some extra fun here and sneak in the New York Jets at the Carolina Panthers. So we'll go ahead and dive into Green Bay at New Orleans. We'll start to, we'll, we'll throw in the Saints first for, for Lex here. Um, yeah, this game isn't necessarily going to go overlooked, but the specifics are interesting to look at and consider. So why don't we start, uh, you know, we know that wide receiver and cornerback matchups are often overvalued in the industry. A lot of people take those, um, and really kind of use that to determine who they want to play from a wide receiver position. But in this particular game, they may impact the overall offensive focuses and therefore production. So Lex, I noticed uh, going over your notes, um, you know, we've obviously got Devontae versus Lattimore, MVS versus the other guy. Uh, and then on the other side of the ball, Callaway, Callaway versus Jair. Um, what are you seeing here? What do you think we should be paying attention to? Yeah, as far as like those matchups go, I don't know if any of them are enough to really claim like shadow for either of those top two, because I can't really see Jire like shadowing Callaway and the Saints move around. You know, they play in so many different personnel formations that I, I doubt someone's going to match up with the same cornerback throughout the whole game anyway. Um, obviously, for Callaway, the concern is more the Packers' past events as a whole. They've been really good at limiting wide receiver um, DK points over the past couple of years. Um, new new defensive coordinator this year. So um, that could change a bit, but they did just uh, spend first round draft capital on a new cornerback um, for Devonte, him and Lattimore have only matched up when Brett Hundley was quarterback. So you wouldn't want to read too much into that. Lattimore has tended to struggle more with the shifty technicians, kind of like Thielen and Antonio Brown. And you can definitely put Adams in that category. You know, he might be the best route runner in football right now. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily mark Adams down too much for facing Lattimore. 
I don't think they're going to match up every snap. You'll definitely see a lot of each other. Um, but we've seen Devonte over the last two seasons with the floor average 10.6 targets per game. Um, I mean, he's obviously matched up with some elite cornerbacks in that time. So I wouldn't, you know, shy away from him just from that sense. He's going to get his looks and he's certainly the type of guy that has given Lattimore struggles, you know, regardless of that. And then for MVS, the saints cornerback situation right now, Ken Crawley, who's already, you know, been in and out of the league the last couple of years, um, is questionable. They have a rookie that might play and he's a big guy. I don't know how fast he is. So, you know, MVS might be able to put the burners on him and then either that or Desmond Trevon, who they just signed this week. So their outside cornerback situation until Bradley Roby is able to play for them um, next week is very questionable. The saints allowed, I think it was like the ninth most explosive passes to wide receivers last year. Um, and then one thing, to kind of spin off of that, the Saints defenses have historically struggled over the first three weeks under Dennis Allen. And we've got four straight years now where 11 of the 15 games over the first three weeks, they've gone over 27 points the opponent has, um, which is Green Bay's implied total actually this week. Um, and so they've just been getting burned repeatedly in the beginning of seasons. This year's defense is a little bit more questionable than last year with those secondary questions. Um, so I don't think there's any quarterback um, I mean, sorry, wide receiver cornerback matchup that I'm too worried about. Um, yeah, I think that's anything else that you want to add, Jess, about maybe more specifics to the um, to the shadow guys. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. There's probably not going to be much in the way of shadowing. Um, I mean, Lattimore seems to be regressing each year in the league, so I don't think they're just going to say, "Hey, stick him on Adams." Not only that, Adams goes in the slot too; like he'll be there 28 percent of right. the time. So. I mean, that Green Bay is going to move them around and keep them away from Lattimore, even if they try. Yeah, I, I, was, as like, I was kind of thinking with that, too, because, yeah, I mean, Devontae, based on his route running chops and stuff, he's pretty much a guy that even if you're going to try to shadow him, it's not going to matter too much. I was kind of curious if that was just going to, you know, if normally the Saints can lean on Lattimore to be in that shadow role, if that's going to... Uh, force them to to play over or pay attention to Devonte more, potentially opening things up for MVS, especially if he can burn them, um, who's over there. So, yeah, I think that's the thing that I was kind of interested in just to see if uh, that would kind of open up the, obviously Devonte's going to get his looks, but um, how that might affect the softness for the other guys too. And yeah. Then just and, look at, oh, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, just I was, I was just going to say <laughs> first podcast guys, and we'll get used to it. Go yeah. ahead, Jess. Uh, like kind of going over back to the workbook and stuff, the saints defense hasn't changed. I mean, there are some changes, but overall the, the structure is still the same. Most of the players are still the same. Uh, looking at the numbers, what they were weakest at last year was giving up fantasy points to slot receivers and tight ends. In fact, they gave mm-hmm. up 7.9 targets per game to the tight end position. So, I mean, this, could be a Robert Tanyan game <laughs> or whoever lines up in the slot. If that's Adams. Yeah, for sure. And then I think even actually kind of diving into the tight end spot, having Quan um, Alexander back is, a, is big for that, but he also hasn't played since tearing his Achilles in December. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a very quick turnaround. So we don't really know how much he's going to play. So that could still remain a weak spot of that defense. And uh, I will say too, going kind of off that into, you know, where the saints are being attacked, the interior of the defensive line is, very questionable right now with on out and then losing three rotational guys from last year. Hmm. Uh, so that would be a spot where maybe they're able to have more success running the ball, more control of the game. 
Um, and that, and then that way limits the receivers, you know, pass to big ceilings, um, because you're going to attack where they're weakest. And the Saints, like you said, like Jess said, you know, they still have a lot of carryover of talent from the previous couple seasons. Um, so that, that is interesting to me as well. Same, uh, with Green Bay, though, they've struggled all preseason and joint practices running the ball. Uh, they got two rookies starting on that interior line. So it's almost like a wash. Like you don't have much on your de- interior defense. They don't have much experience on the interior on the offense. So I don't know how, how well Green Bay's going to be able to run the ball because they haven't shown it yet, but they could. It could be a lot of dump offs to Aaron Jones and stuff like that, though, too. Yeah. And actually going off that, sorry, Ben, let me like really quick, like, uh, even though they're missing those guys, like I just mentioned, their overall strategy is still going to be to stop the run. Like that's not going to change even with, you know, sort of different guys in there. Um, the saints have only allowed, I think it was 10 of the last 53 running backs. They faced to score just 20 plus TK points. And that's not even like, you know, ceiling games that you actually want on your roster. Um, so Jones is kind of battling that tough matchup with a line that might be struggling right now. And the fact that even in games where he was over, 70% of snaps last year, he was still only averaging 13.8 attempts per game. Like that might change, you know, with Dylan behind him instead of Jamal Williams, but we really still have yet to see like a lot of Aaron Jones, like locked, you know, big usage games. Um, and then we're throwing in this tough matchup on top of it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's kind of where I was going there too, is like talking about Aaron Jones workload. Uh, but you pretty much said it all there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, all right. Well, how do we feel about bouncing over to the New Orleans side? Um, we briefly mentioned Callaway versus Jair and doesn't look like it'll be a full shadow situation. What about the rest of the team? Obviously, we've got Alvin Kamara in there who uh, without, you know, everybody's kind of licking their chops, ready to uh, fire him up without Michael Thomas in there. Should we be doing that? Uh, what are the stats saying, Lex? Um, yeah, AK's obviously seen more usage in the games without Michael Thomas, but we're kind of operating in an unknown space, you know, without Drew Brees moving on to Jameis this year. Um, moving on from Latavius Murray is probably a positive sign in AK's direction, but I still wouldn't expect him to garner like too much more carries. It's just not how Peyton's operated for the past two decades. Um, but you know, the Green Bay's definitely been weaker against receiving backs the last couple of years. They haven't really changed much on in that side of the ball. Um, so the Saints offensive line has got a whole nother year of continuity behind it. Um, they've been working on improving their screen game efficiency, efficiency from the last couple of years, which obviously Kamara is going to be a huge part of. And then his his overall touches, like I think I think we we did the scores like he's had three huge games, up, Michael Thomas, and then five other like, you know, mega games in terms of like price consideration. So he's not a lock by any means to go off for this huge game, but in terms of like game environment and matchup, it definitely sets up really well for him. And you should expect, you know, a good amount of points. Like it's just whether he hits that ceiling, he doesn't get as many red zone touches as you would expect. He's just very efficient with them because you always have to worry about Taysom Hill, you know, stealing those. He had eight rushing touchdowns last year himself, including four, even when he wasn't starting and breeze was. So you're not, he's not a lock for, you know, red zone touches every week as well. Yeah, that was the the thing that really jumped out to me um, from reading your stuff was seeing that out of those eight games, only three of those, which were true, must have it scores. I mean, they were massive. I think they're all in like 40, 50 point range and they're huge. But uh, to have five uh, duds for, you know, for him in there at cost, because this, this is a big thing we talk about at OWS, right, is uh, 
just because a guy's lock a lock for touches or um you know seeing the ball doesn't necessarily mean he's going to put up the kind of score you need from him in order to win you a tournament. So if you're getting 25 points from AK in this spot, you're, you're not really that excited um, because you could be getting that score or maybe a couple of points less for somebody who you're not paying nearly that price for. So I thought that was super interesting. Uh, Jess, what do you, what are you thinking here? Well, these two teams played last year and Kamara had 14 targets, 13 catches, 139 yards and two receiving touchdowns. That's 41.9 DK points right there. It's not he so does bad. half that. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever he adds rushing, you also, you lose Latavius Murray. So maybe, maybe he's there more in the, in that goal line game. I mean, he's, he, he's pretty much all they have. I mean, Troutman practiced today. I have a little bit of interest in Troutman too, but it's going to all be on Kamara. He's going to get that 14 targets again are pretty darn close. Yeah. And the only thing I'll add about that too, is the, so for those three big scores we were just talking about, two of them did come in the first three weeks. So it was like the two immediate games after losing Thomas. Um, so breeze wasn't quite familiar with Sanders yet. Their whole offense was kind of getting up to speed. And then on top of it, green Bay being a good matchup for Kamara as well. Um, so I, I, I'm totally with Jess. I think he's going to be, totally involved in the past game with Jameis. It's not like that's just going to go away because breeze is gone. Um, I think what you might lose is a couple of those check down plays. Like actually that highlight play that was on, you know, Twitter for the past year, that huge 50 yard touchdown. Like that was a play that Jameis is probably going to attack downfield. Um, and whereas breeze is more willing to kind of find that check down after he, you know, is, you know, not looking for that 30 yard play. Um, but I, I'm totally with you. If he, I mean, the situation's so great. The receivers are, you know, you, you're literally operating with Callaway, Deontay Harris, Traquan, like, I mean, these aren't guys that are going to be, you know, big target, you know, trying to find the word for myself. They're not going to attract the kind of targets that are going to take away from Camara's usage. So it's just interesting to keep in mind, obviously going from Breeze to Jameis, like, you know, we're still in an unknown. Right. Yeah. So I guess to wrap up this game, Taysom Hill, uh, you know, I think people are kind of focused on the, you know, who was winning the quarterback starting job. And uh, just because Jameis won, it feels to me at least like people are just kind of like, oh, okay, well, he won and he's a 100% guy when I definitely expect to see Taysom in there, uh, especially, you know, packages along the goal line and just a change up, I would think, from their run game uh, because it's going to cause defenses to really have to work around that. So what are we expecting from him and how's that going to impact either Jameis's performance and, or um, Alvin Kamara? Uh, from what I'm thinking, like, I think we're still in a little bit of an unknown, like I was saying, because we have one it's Drew Brees and Taysom. And now, you know, Taysom just lost the job. Peyton's been wanting him to play for much. He, he might have a bigger package than he did have before. Um, so that's something to think about. I know he was practicing with the tight ends today. Um, so that would actually be better news for Jameis if he's operating more as a receiver versus like a, you know, a quarterback that comes in for a few plays. Um, but you also, you always have to worry about him at the goal line. He's, he's not been in as involved as most people think, but he did still, like I said before, he had four touchdowns, even in those brief starts. Um, I, I wouldn't be like worried enough where I would be off Jameis. I, in terms of like Jameis's outlook, I'm more worried about the Packers pass defense as a whole, just kind of limiting his ceiling. Um, but I will say they did, you know, they have a new defensive coordinator this year. Who's never had a defense finish it. Like not in the bottom eight in terms of pass yards allowed. 
Um, but he's obviously inheriting a defense that has been successful at that for the past few years. Uh, but I don't think Taysom is what would make me worry about the other guys other than just, you know, he's going to get a few looks a game. Um, and we don't really know how much bigger his package might be this year. Um, but until I don't, I don't really, I guess I don't really have clarity on this. So it's hard for me to form a good opinion on it, you know, as of right now for week one. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Anything there, Jess, or do you want to move on? Uh, no, I pretty much agree. Like we don't know how much Taysom's going to play. We don't know how aggressive Winston's going to be and what the effect, like basically the whole domino effect between those two things. Right. All right. That's a wrap for green Bay at new Orleans. So we'll move on here to Arizona at Tennessee. Uh, obviously this game isn't going unnoticed, but let's dig in here and see if we can create a little bit of clarity around where, uh, some fantasy goodness is coming from. Both of these teams were part of high scoring games in 2020. Lex, that was the one thing that really popped out in your notes, reading through that kind of highlighted that. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously they have very capable offenses, both kind of like poor to middling defenses. So what, what are you finding there? What should we be paying attention to? I definitely think it's worth noting. Like I, I said, in the matchups, like 13 of Tennessee, 16 games last year finished over 50 and they had five with 70 plus. Wow. Um, so they've definitely been a part of a lot of high scoring games. Um, it's part of having that strong offense. No, the only team to score more touchdowns than them last year was green Bay. And then also having a weak defense on the back end. Um, their secondary might be even more inexperienced this year, which is better for, you know, Arizona. Um, both teams are pretty fast paced. Like obviously we're operating in an unknown now without Arthur Smith, um, and how much Tennessee is going to be affected by that Tannehill, especially, um, he was very good in play action and the guy that's coming in is used play action at a very low rate in his one season as an OC. Um, so that's kind of like the flip end of the spectrum of what Arthur Smith was doing. Um, but I still ex would expect a good amount of points. I think it was in the write-up, maybe JM or uh, maybe it was the person who actually wrote the edge. I um, was talking about like the, the, the points will most likely be scored. It just depends on, is it going to be back and forth or is one team kind of in control early? And that changes obviously the flow of the game. Um, I just, I would have a very hard time not seeing like a lot of points scored in this game, just based on kind of the, the secondaries of both teams and the efficiency of the quarterbacks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thoughts there, Jess, uh, something that was coming to mind, Lex, as you were kind of finishing up there was the, the pace of the game will probably be something to keep in mind as well. So Jess, what do you got on that? Uh, he hit on a couple of my points too. They were second in touchdowns. Tennessee was, they were the fourth highest scoring offense last year. Uh, you do lose Arthur Smith. So there's a little bit of unknown there. Their off season was kind of riddled with COVID issues. So who knows how cohesive the whole unit is. Uh, I, I still really like Tennessee in this because they are a concentrated offense. They're basically Minnesota. You've got a quarterback, two receivers and a, a really good running back there. So it's kind of easy to, to pick those guys. And then you got Julio has got a little bit of unknown with his injuries and stuff, but he seems to be practicing well. And they kind of mentioned something about a pitch count with him, but I don't know if that's true. Maybe that helps people stay off of him a little bit. Yeah. So I guess as long as we're there uh, with the Tennessee offense, you know, big thing that JM is kind of hammered last year and coming into this year is that it was plus EV to be playing uh, Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and a pass catcher. So 
are we doing that in this spot? Do we like that? Jess, you just mentioned that concentrated offense, uh, or are we going about a different way and, or are we pulling a trigger on Julio or, uh, we going with AJ Brown? I like the idea of doing uh, Tannehill Henry in a pass catcher. I also kind of think Henry might even be a little bit of a leverage play because everybody's looking at these secondaries. You got a whole bunch of untested guys on both sides. People are going to be loading up on Murray and his stack. They're going to load up on Tannehill and his stack. You know, that I, I don't think Henry's going to come out and go balls out, but he might. <laughs> He's the leverage play against the field that's going to have so much high ownership on both sides passing game. And then stacking him with the passing game is even more leverage. Nobody's going to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious about Julio, too. He's one of those plays where, obviously, a bit of a risk considering the unknowns. But uh, I just feel like people have been a little quiet around him. And I don't know, man. I, I would definitely – that's like one of those where I'd really want to be first to the party and uh, not miss that. We talk about that a lot at OWS. You know, if you want to win a tournament – You've got to be willing to, uh, Larejo talks about that. You know, his column is, uh, willing to lose, got to be able to pull the trigger on those types of things. And so that one's really interesting to me. Um, but Lex, what, uh, any comments based on what we've been throwing around here? Uh, yeah, first with like Henry, I'm, I'm definitely with the idea of like stacking him. Like I, I wrote in the matchups, I think three of Tannehill's like biggest scores, like, um, had, you know, Henry also smash. So like, they've definitely been playable together. I know JM was harping on that a ton last year. Um, I will say too, if you're playing Tannehill, you should probably expect the game to be very high scoring because in all seven of his games over 20 plus DK points, I mean, they were wild finishes like 46, 25, 42, 36, 35, 41, like basically along those lines, like I have that all in the matchups, but you, if you're playing Tannehill, you're expecting them to need, you know, a higher pass volume because obviously otherwise they're just going to run Henry into the ground. Um, and then for Henry on top of it, just based the matchup itself, like Arizona was actually pretty strong last year, like in terms of limiting big um, days on the ground, but Vance Joseph has only had like, I think one of his five defenses, even like in the top 20 and rush defense, um, of the yards allowed or something like that. Uh, so he's definitely not had a, a good, strong history in terms of strong rush defenses. They added why, and obviously the back end's weak, but I think like he was saying, if people are starting to think about it in that way. Then Henry becomes his leverage play himself just because he's even produced in those high scoring games as well. Like he doesn't need the, you know, the full control of the game, as long as they're not falling behind by too much, like you should expect a really good amount of Henry usage. And I don't think Arizona's um, defense is strong enough to even prevent them from, you know, jumping out to some big lead in the first place. Um, so I really like that idea of looking all them together in terms of Julio. I'm kind of with you guys, like, you'd rather be first to the party. The problem is like, we're just like everyone else. We don't really know what's going on with their health just because of the weird practicing, you know, or mispractices between him and Brown. Um, but I think I wrote two, both of them set up pretty well in terms of they're both really good after the catch and Arizona, um, had a lot of problems with that, forcing a shallow rate out and just getting killed after the catch last year. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the question is kind of, <clears throat> yeah, continuing to come back to, uh, if, if Arizona can really push the pace and force Tennessee to be putting up points. So with that, why don't we jump over to uh, the Cardinals offense and let's just really quickly look at uh, the running back situation there, you know, kind of been a lot of talk in the off season about everybody's, you know, trying to think about, you know, who's their guy Edmonds or Connor and, and why, uh, 
what are you guys seeing here, Lex? Is there anything in uh, you know the data that you found? Obviously, this is still unknown, but just kind of based on what we've had, uh, what are you thinking? Yeah, obviously, yeah, we're dealing with a lot of coach speak right now in terms of like who might be the lead back. But I do think, I mean, 264 touches that are being vacated by Drake, like that's a lot to go around. Um, it seems like Edmonds is going to be the leader, but he's also had very few games with even like double digit attempts so far in his career. And then he's had one attempt inside the five in his whole career so far. Whereas like we know Connor has been, you know, Pittsburgh's goal line back for the last couple of years. Um, Edmonds has, they've both been, you know, involved in the passing game. Um, Edmonds is, was, I think he had like three, more than three catches in like 11 to 15 games last year. So he's definitely involved in that sense. We're just, we're very, I think the biggest hesitancy with Edmonds is obviously just knowing, is he going to get goal line work? And then on top of it, whichever running back even gets more goal line work, Kyler's still going to steal enough, you know, touches himself. Hopkins is involved at the goal line as a really big receiver. Um, so you have to worry about that for the running backs. Tennessee's matchup itself is kind of like in the middle, like they're not really strong or weak in that, in that area. But um, I think you're just more worried about the usage for how Arizona utilizes the running backs themselves. Yeah, I think when, you know, especially in talking in terms of ceiling, at least for me, I, you know, I'm just kind of like just dismissing it completely because I'm like, you know, the the chances of these guys hitting a ceiling that I want uh, is just feels so low to me anyways. Uh, but what do you think, Jess? Any, are you seeing anything differently? No, I pretty much agree with you. The, the two running backs are kind of going to keep each other from really breaking out. The only thing is when you're looking at pricing and you come across Chase Edmonds at 4,600 and you're like, eh, maybe that's a backdoor into this offense or something. Another one of those leverage plays, like everybody's going to be loaded up on Murray and the receivers, which is the obvious play. But I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to have much Edmonds at all, depending on how many lineups I build. But yeah, I don't see a huge ceiling game for him. Yeah, I think this is one of those games where it's definitely going to be interesting to see where ownership shakes out uh, to kind of tailor choices based on that. Uh, All right, let's move on to the receivers, though. So we've got DeAndre Hopkins, obviously the alpha in this offense. JM has talked at length about his low upside route tree. So even if he's seeing eight to 10 to 12 targets a game, you know, yes, he could score a touchdown, but you know, he may still end up under hundred yards. We've got AJ green, uh, is, is he alive or is it his ghost? And then Rondale Moore, obviously an explosive talent. Is that going to carry over to the NFL and what is his usage going to be? Um, a lot of, uh, unknowns here, but again, any, do you guys have any thoughts on this situation or who you're interested in Jess? Yeah. Um, I kind of am leaning a little bit towards AJ green. Cause I think a lot of people have them written off. Uh, you also got, when you go back and look at Hopkins, you got to think Kingsbury had to look at last year and go, gosh, we were so easy to defend. We had one of the best receivers in the league and we made it obvious how to defend this guy. It's kind of what Seattle's doing there. Hey, you know, DK Metcalf got, Metcalf got taken away halfway through the year. How do we do this better? So you got to think Kingsbury's hopefully thinking that. Um, but I do like AJ green. The price is cheap. Uh, they've been raving about him in training camp. So he could be kind of like one of the, the sneakier plays on the slate because a lot of people are just, Oh, he's washed. He's done. But I don't know. He might've found the fountain of youth down there in Arizona. (laughs) 
And Tennessee allowed second most points to wide receivers. They allowed the second most targets to wide receivers, um, fifth most points to slot receivers. So th- there's definitely some some yards and points to be had out there for those guys. Yeah, just Peggy, uh, just jumping off that too. Um, I was going to add the same points about Tennessee being just being awful versus receivers and then being even more inexperienced this year other than Janoris Jenkins. Um, Hopkins, five of his eight games over 20 DK points, they Arizona scored 30. So you're kind of looking for that back and forth or Arizona trailing and needing to put up a lot of points for Hopkins to be big. But I think like Jeff said, he could be utilized differently. Hopefully he has a little bit more upside in terms of his routes. Cause last year you were basically banking on him having to catch 10 balls to even get to where he was worth, you know, rostering. Um, I like AJ Green as well. I think last year he definitely, he struggled himself, but he was also dealing with a quarterback who wasn't able to throw him accurate balls, like based on where he was getting targeted. Um, I think that he's in a situation where Arizona's, you know, almost exclusively three and four wide receiver set. So he's going to be on the field a ton. Um, Rondell Moore, Rondell Moore is probably going to be used for that more, you know, quick, quick game, like in the slot right there, the shorter targets and AJ, you know, have more, you know, valuable targets down the field. Um, and if he's being overlooked and that's even more reason to want to, you know, give him a look, um, we obviously know the talents there when he is healthy, even if he's on the wrong side of 30, um, I don't have much more. Cause of like, like, you know, like you said, we're dealing with uncertainty here and we're just kind of looking at, you know, what we know in terms of these matchups. Um, but obviously the passing game does set up pretty well against this Tennessee secondary with not a great pass rush on pass rush on top of it. Um, and an Arizona, you know, pass blocking line has been schemed pretty well in terms of like um, preventing pressure the last couple of years. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think I'm, I'm ready to buy on either AJ green or Rondale Moore based on the, like considering price and ownership. I think I would take, I haven't looked at pricing yet. Jess, I didn't look at the workbook either, but um, I mean, I would imagine that those guys are just really set up um, from a little bit more of a leverage um, perspective. So, uh, all right. Any final thoughts on this game? Or are you guys ready to move on? Yeah, actually I had one thing I wanted to say too, going back to like what we were talking about with Connor and stuff. Um, I think the way I would even look at it too, is Connor might, you know, vulture some of those big, you know, goal line touches. And I think if he, if you're thinking of the game in terms of like Connor scoring a couple of those touchdowns, it doesn't really make me incentivized to still want to play Connor. It just makes me less incentivized to want to play Kyler on that roster. So that's kind of how I think about it. It's like, I don't think, you know, Connor having a better day, you know, stealing a couple of scores necessarily makes him rosterable. I just think it makes, you know, it's, it's your way of feeling better about not putting Kyler on your roster. Yep. Definitely makes sense. All right. Moving on, we've got Jacksonville at Houston. All right. So changing complexion of teams a little bit here. Uh, this one's likely to be passed up just based on everybody sees these two teams and kind of goes, ugh, not great. Uh, but this game has a sneak potential to be back and forth because we're dealing with some terrible defenses here. So lots of unknowns with both teams, but, uh, figured it'd be interesting to dive in. So what are you guys thinking about, uh, this just dumpster fire of a Houston defense? They are bad across the board. Jess, do you have numbers or, um, stuff from the workbook on just how bad they, they were? 
<laughs> yeah, they were second worst against wide receiver ones, third worst against wide receiver twos, and second worst versus deep middle passing last year. Uh, I do think Lovey Smith's Tampa two having that shell over the top will probably help a little bit with that, but they still lack talent. They just traded Roby, who was suspended anyway. Uh, Lonnie Johnson, who was playing well in the preseason, he's hurt. We don't know if he's going to play. Like, I don't know if they have the talent to overcome it, even playing in a just sit back, keep everything in front of us defense. And both were awful against the run last year, too. So it, you don't even really have to pass against these guys. <laughs> yeah. Anything to piggyback off there, Lex? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think um, Houston's defense, even with, you know, with a little improvement of Lovey Smith um, scheme wise, you know, they they do just do not have the talent to keep up with like Marvin Jones and LaVisca and Chark. Um, and then even, even though Lawrence is a rookie, I think he's, he's been, you know, expected to be number one pick for the last couple of years for a reason. He's just way ahead as a processor, um, and giving, you know, this defense, his first, you know, taste of pro football week one is pretty good setup for him. Um, like Jeff said to the run defense are just as weak. So it's not like, you know, they can take away one aspect of the game and make it harder on them. Like they're just weak everywhere on that defense. Um, so I'm very interested in looking at that the past games here and stuff. I think I wrote something too, where both teams tied for the fourth most uh, red zone opportunities face. So like both teams were just getting, you know, the other teams were driving down the field at will basically all last year. Yeah. I'm super interested in that. I think uh, people are, you know, tend to, sh to shy away from rookie quarterbacks because coaches usually kind of ease them in and want to get them comfortable. Uh, it's totally just a feeling of mine. It's, you know, it's not based in anything other than I just kind of feel like uh, Urban Meyer, especially coming from, you know, just kind of like a collegiate mindset. I just kind of feel like he's going to try to like, you know, lob this one up for T-Law and just be like, go for it, man. <laughs> and so I don't know, I I'm maybe that's just hopeful, but I could definitely see that happening and not be, like having him be eased in quite the same way as rookies. Um, but that said, what are we thinking about receivers? Do you guys have anybody that stands out? Um, obviously Marvin Jones, a lot of talent there. Um, everybody's kind of chomping at the bit to play LaVisca. Uh, and then obviously with injuries to Travis Etienne, uh, what are we, what are we doing there? Well, I think we got to see who's healthy shark and, uh, Jones didn't, well, they were in the no contact jerseys today. Jones has the AC and shark with his hand, but Lawrence said his hand is fine. Like when they were playing last week, he's like, I, there were no incompletions and his hand was worse than it was, you know, today. Uh, I kind of like shark cause he's kind of written off. He's gained weight or, you know, muscle basically urban Meyer came in and said, Hey, you're too small. You got to get bigger. You got to play bigger. And he took that to heart. So I kind of want to see how Chark responds to that. And at one point I read somewhere, Meyer's like, we need you. So you kind of making it sound like he's the number one. So I want to see how that plays out. But I kind of feel like it's just going to be, Lawrence is just going to be dealing. Like, I don't know if any one guy is going to be, have a huge ceiling game. I think they're all just going to kind of be part of it. I think Lawrence is going to find the open guy on every play and not one guy is really going to go for a big game unless it's Chark on the deep passes. Yeah. Um, going off that too, I, I'm, I'm with you. We didn't see Chark in the preseason game. So obviously we we're watching LaVisca and Marvin Jones dominate, you know, targets, but adding another guy who's, you know, 
had a you know a history of success as well. Like you've got three guys that are going to get targets. Like Jess is saying, they could all cannibalize each other from having big ceilings. Um, I think LaVisca is probably a little bit bumped by the Etienne injury, just from those kind of short area, just using him to like get some, you know, break some tackles and for big gains. Um, but I think it's like, I think every matchup is easy for them. So it's hard to know which one you kind of just want to like, as I saying, Chark is going maybe overlooked compared to the other two, which makes him more interesting. Um, but they all set up really well here. Um, and I think Lawrence on top of that, obviously, like it should be easy pickings against this, this Houston defense. Yeah. You could even just do a Lawrence and run it back with cook and be fine right. in this game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Chark there because uh, I wasn't really having him top of mind, but I was I was still playing him, you know, on some games last year. I thought he could uh, have like break out a little bit. So definitely interesting. Uh, again, always wanting to be first to those guys that everybody is just way too scared to pull the trigger on. Uh, all right. So running back situation, I think, again, people are just assuming that no, now that Etienne is injured, uh, J Rob's going to bounce back into this workhorse role against this terrible Houston run defense. Do you guys think that? Are you um, thinking something, seeing something different? Again, obviously not going on too much data here, but uh, any thoughts on that? Um, I think it's a little hard to know, like you said. I mean, the the high usage in the preseason was a little strange because it's not like he was like coming in and out with Robinson. It was like Robinson had a couple series and then Hyde came in for his own series. So it skewed the numbers a bit. So it's a little strange, um, but he's just, he's a very talented back. Um, last year, I think he had, he had like a 20, he had, I think top five touches per game of, of all running backs. Houston was so bad on run D. I think I have it here. They were like allowed 300 more running back rush yards than the next closest team. So they were just getting absolutely steamrolled on the ground. Um, and I, they lost Watt. like, I don't know if they've really improved in that area at all. Um, and I, I like Robinson too, cause he was using the pass game. Like he's shown, um, ability as a pass protector. Um, I just, I have a hard time seeing him come off the field too much, unless it's just like the game is just way out of hand and they're just using Hyde to keep Robinson fresher. Um, but I, I like Robinson. I think he's going to have a good goal line share as well. Um, and then Houston's matchup, like could not be a better setup. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Houston gave up 21.5 fantasy points allowed just on the ground to running backs. That was tops in the league. Uh, and then overall, they were 32.4 points per game to running backs, uh, PPR points. I don't account for the DraftKings bonus on that. But yeah, that that ground game is there. Robinson can just take this one away. Like they can get Lawrence out there, get him comfortable, and then just, all right, we'll just hand the ball off a little bit, keep him comfortable, keep him from getting hit. Yeah, I think Robinson actually, his ceiling was a little bit capped last year. Jacksonville only had six rush attempts inside the five, like all of last season. They just weren't a very effective offense with Minshew. Um, this and Robinson turned all five of his attempts inside the five into touchdowns. So we know he can be effective down there. And then given more volume this year, um, should only lead to a couple, you know, more multi touchdown games. Yeah. And if we're assuming this offense is operating better as a whole, then yeah, definitely going to see more of those chances. So with all that said, uh, it sounds like we're expecting Jacksonville to be able to at least put some points up. Uh, do we think Houston can fight back? Uh, the couple of notes I had here and you guys can give me specifics. Um, but I took these 
uh, roughly from your stuff, Lex. Uh, so they have a new defensive coordinator, Jacksonville defense, that is. Uh, they are pretty much bottom feeder versus the running back versus the tight end and below average versus the receiver. So, um, you know, we've got Tyrod obviously on the Houston side and again, unknowns, uh, hard to really feel into how these guys are going to show up with so much crap going down, uh, as a franchise, you know, always kind of wary of, um, or just, you know, cautious of like how teams are going to show up when there's that much trauma. Uh, what do we, what do we think about Tyrod and the Houston offense? Jess, <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't know if I would play Tyrod. I think the only part of the offense that I have any interest in is cook. Uh, you got a four headed monster at running back. And uh, Tyrod might be okay. He's just, he's not much of a deep passer. He doesn't turn the ball over. Like he's a good leader and everything, but he, he's not a fantasy guy. And the, the not being able to hit deep consistently kind of scares me a little bit with cook. But if you're doing any kind of stacking or correlated plays with this, like you could cook is the only one standing out. Yeah. I think he's going to have a big market share, um, especially, Actually, now I think when they just traded QT or they let him go, um, I guess they did sign Amendola, but it should be Cooks all the way. He's had the most rapper with um, with Ty- with Tyrod so far. I I'm a little worried because you know his offenses aren't like you know the, flying over the field, putting up big points. They're usually just trying to control the game, um, which is a little worrisome because it's not like Jacksonville's defense is very strong either. Um, so yeah, I'm in terms of them being able to keep up. I, I, I don't know. I, their offense is just so, you know, so many weak talented in terms of NFL guys. Um, but I, 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 like he said, I would be interested in cooks as a bring back. Um, Aikens is slightly interesting to me just because of how Tyrod Taylor used uh, Charles clay in his three seasons there. And Aikens kind of being the only real receiving threat as a tight end on their roster. Um, but again, you're still on that. You're banking on him being able to actually play, a majority of the snaps in this game, if they get down early and they need to just throw it a lot. Um, because even last year, like Darren Fells is gone, but he was still just barely, you know, barely having snap counts above like, you know, 40%, 50%. Um, but it is interesting just because of how he used Charles Clay in the past. That's the only thing that kind of intrigues me. Yeah. Yeah. Bit of, makes bit sense. of a rambling there. No, <laughs> makes sense. Uh, I, I, <laughs> Houston not being able to do well on offense, I think just pushes us back to James Robinson. I mean, he's, he's going to get a lot of touches and he's going to be the one salt in the game away. Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing I was going to mention there is uh, again, you know, because I mentioned it a couple of times now, my style played the, with Nico Collins uh, seems like they like him and he'll be pretty involved, especially with Kuti being out uh, obviously an unknown, but yeah, Cook's by far the the main target in that offense, but I'm interested potentially in buying low on Nico Collins as a bring back. But all right, guys, I think we spent enough time on that, unless you guys have any other thoughts, and then we'll move on to our kind of bonus game of the week. All right, so we are moving on to New York Jets at Carolina Panthers. So definitely uh, not super exciting here, but figured we'd dive in just a little bit more. Uh, I think JM had, you know, he put a little teaser out there about 
being interested when writing this. So let's see what we've got here. Uh, the Jets are like completely fresh. They're, you know, they're, they're coaching uh, head coach. You got offensive coordinator personnel, obviously in Zach Wilson. So can they produce versus what was a relatively capable Carolina defense in 2020? Jess, uh, what do you got there in terms of what that looks like Carolina defense and any thoughts on the jets offense coming in? Yeah, Jets, you got the rookie play caller, you got the rookie quarterback, you've got quite a bit of turnover, especially on the defensive side. Um, but their offensive line is all right. Uh, I don't know who's super playable because Carolina Chen is really good against slot receivers. And I was kind of excited to start Elijah Moore at 3000. But then looking at that matchup, I'm a little turned off by it. So I am kind of starting to look more at Corey Davis or even you got Tyler Croft which is where Carolina was the weakest. Um, they were given up 8.1 targets per game to tight ends last year. So Tyler Croft at min price is actually kind of a decent way to play this because if this game's going to shoot out, you got to figure where it's going to go. So I'm kind of looking at either Croft or Davis as any bringbacks to what I do with Carolina. Yeah, I'm I'm happy, but also sad that you mentioned that matchup for Elijah Moore because I was <laughs> I was I was pretty excited about that too. Um, Lex, thoughts on the Jets' offense and how they match up? Yeah, I would say like last year, Carolina was actually a little bit more stingy than against receivers than like most people probably would think. I think the only ones that were really having success all needed like seven plus receptions to get there. So like they were all, they all needed a lot of volume just, you know, cause of the dot that was being forced. Um, I'm, I am, interested, I mean, he's, is mid price and it's, I'd say you kind of want to look at just where the ownership is going maybe. Um, but I would expect those two to dominate targets from Wilson, uh, Warren Davis. Uh, yeah, I don't have much more. It's, it's obviously, yeah, we're in a, such an unknown and it's week one and you need big scores and I'm not, super confident in that offense being able to put up like some have to have it score, obviously more being at three K is what, you know, makes it the most interesting. Um, I, I think the running game is a little bit more interesting to me other than it being a big committee, but it does set up well for them, like a Ty Johnson type back through the air. Um, but again, you're dealing with, you know, you don't even know how many touches they're all going to get. So I, I would probably stay away from that as well. It's just what I think might make their offense more successful. Um, so I, I don't have too much interest in, that side of the game other than kind of in bringbacks, I think like Jess was saying. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. It seems like based on uh, the matchup that that's where they're going to be able to move the ball a little bit more, but isn't uh, super helpful for us from a DFS perspective. Cause I think that's, you know, just a kind of no touch situation until we figure out where things are going. Uh, Jess, any other thoughts there, or do you want to flip this around and uh, talk about, Sam Darnold without Adam Gase. Yeah. So the, the Darnold Robbie Anderson revenge game narrative, I think is the angle you might see a lot of people take. And when they do that, they're probably going to bring it back with Elijah Moore. So there's your three high percentage players from this game. Um, I don't mind the Darnold Robbie narrative, but I think I'm going to, I was really on it, like probably even as up about a week or two ago, but the more I'm thinking about it, I just think it's going to get, overused because Darnold's cheap. Robbie's cheap. Moore is cheap. 
So all those rosters are going to have the expensive running backs. You're going to have one more expensive receiver, or they're going to have a, a tight end, an expensive tight end on there. So you can almost see how those builds are going to play out. And I'm kind of getting turned off by that. Um, kind of looking more. And then, so when you do talk about the, the expensive backs here, I think when you look at it, McCaffrey's the most expensive back on the slate. And I think everybody going to the Darnold, Robbie, Elijah Moore stack gives McCaffrey some leverage. I, I'm sure there's going to be a plenty of sharp people out there with McCaffrey, but I think the field might play the narrative and the rookie and, you know, the exciting plays here. And I think we might be able to get some leverage with CMC. Yeah. I have a hard time feeling into if people are, are going to be willing to play Darnold or not. Um, I did. <laughs> He's the 26th highest price quarterback. So I think if somebody's punting, that's where they're going to go at QB. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I I'm definitely, I think he's interesting, especially if we think that um, the jets can put up any type of points on the board here. Uh, yeah. I think he's interesting. I don't, I don't really want to try to choose receivers necessarily. Lex, I think you had mentioned that uh, basically the the high level was that pretty much one of those guys was getting you a, a nice score and the other guy wasn't. And so, and they pretty much were never producing really well together. Um, so yeah, I'm not super interested in trying to figure that out, but what are you thinking Lex? Uh, and especially with the CMC here, um, what do we, what are we thinking there? Yeah. With what you were just saying, um, um, the receivers are, they were putting up good scores last year, but rarely was it like a have to have it score. And it's like week one where we need all have to have it scores. And that was even with CMC out and Davis was getting targets himself, but CMC is like on a whole nother level of, you know, target share. Um, so I think the jets allowed the most receptions, I believe, or second most receptions of anyone in 2020, which obviously sets up really well for McCaffrey, um, new defensive coordinator with, you know, Sala and his staff, but, um, still interesting personnel wise. Uh, I, yeah, I think it's hard to figure out the receivers. I mean, all of them are going to get their share of looks, but it's, we haven't really seen one of them get like a, some massive volume compared to the others. Um, it's just kind of spread out between those three, even if it's a little bit concentrated, it's still, you know, you've got four guys that are in the passing game, including CMC. Um, so I'm not like super interested. I think like Jess was saying, Darnold is getting a little bit more chatter than you would have liked, you know, a week ago especially I think it's because of that, you know, the revenge game, the matchup itself him being cheap. Um, and then just not thinking about what we need on week one as well. Um, so I'm not like super interested in it. Um, obviously the matchup is nice. We don't really know what the defense is going to look like under Sala. Um, but personnel wise, they're still pretty weak on the back end. Um, yeah, I would say you're pretty much throwing a dart in terms of the receivers, like Moore's usage is a little bit more encouraging in the preseason. If he's getting a little bit more, uh, short looks, um, to, you know, rack up catches and, and use deep as well. Um, last year it was kind of just like one trick pony, I guess the way they were using him. Um, but again, I think it's like we were saying, there's no, it's, it's like kind of exciting and yet n none of it really makes you want to, you know, put one on your roster. Um, one thing I have here too, is, I mean, you have the jets, they do have a ton of turnover in the second area. They've got uh, two second year guys and a rookie starting back there. They're starting two rookie linebackers after losing Jared Davis. They lost their pass rusher, Carl Lawson for the year. And they gave up the second most targets to running backs last year. So it, this is kind of a, a slam dunk for CMC as far as I can see it. 
and CMC against rookie linebackers and <laughs> rookie corners. If he lines out, lines up outside, that could be a smash for him. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the matchup, like you couldn't ask for much better matchup than Carolina's got here. It's more just, are you willing to trust in like the ceiling of a Sam Darnold offense and which we don't even, you know, necessarily know what it looks like with Joe Brady. Like Teddy didn't really have a big ceiling last year. Um, so if you're kind of operating on that level, then, you know, I'd tend to stay away, but like just was saying, I mean, their secondary, their pass rush being weaker, like everything about it points to like Carolina's offense having success. It's just whether you can tr translate that success into, you know, fantasy points for yourself outside of like CMC. And then one more point I have is uh, the Jets gave up the most targets to tight ends last year at 8.6 per game. Uh, again, we've got two rookie linebackers there. So maybe this is a Dan Arnold punt game. <laughs> Dan Arnold coming over from Arizona. I mean, he's, he's a zone buster. So it, again, like you're saying, it goes back to, do we trust Sam Darnold to, to elevate the level of play of these guys? But I don't know. I, I might have to Arnold or Dan Arnold on a couple of rosters. All right. He definitely guys. checks the boxes. I mean, he's really cheap and he's big and talented. Yeah, definitely interesting. I think the, my only concern there is they just used the tight end position. I think it was like, uh, they were like bottom couple percent, like, few spots in the NFL last year in terms of uh, percentage targets to the tight end. I think that'll change this year, given you have Dan Arnold, but um, still just, yeah, kind of interesting guys. Uh, we kind of talked about as much as we could with, with that game, I think just searching for uh, anything we can find. You guys have anything else? Otherwise I think that's going to be, be a wrap. I'm ready to get out of here. This puppy's about to like bite my face off because I don't <laughs> let her out. And it's like, well, my the, the thunderstorm over on my end is is chilled out now, so I'm good to go for like another hour or so. <laughs> That's all right. You just keep talking. We'll, we'll let us know how it goes. Right. <laughs> uh, all right, OWS fam. That is a wrap for today. Uh, feel free to hit me up in Discord at bfritz12 and hit up Jess and Lex as well. For Lex and for Jess, I'm Ben, and this has been the OWS First Peak Podcast. See you all this week in Discord and at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Bye.